the Arthropod. The Arthropod is the home for the wonderful, weird, wacky world of insects. Hosted by Jonathan Larson, Jody Green, and Michael Scavarla. Welcome to Arthropod, everybody. This is a special Arthropod episode. Because one of our co-hosts has been in the news, like everywhere. I rarely do social media because I always go down rabbit holes and feel bad about myself. But somehow Facebook curated the perfect page for me. And I woke up for some reason at five in the morning, central time, and I started reading and there was this picture of this beautiful insect. And then I looked down and whose name's all over the article? None other than my co-host, Mike Scarla. And we have him here today to talk about this incident. If you don't know what I'm talking about, well, Mike. It feels like you've been living Mr. under a rock at this point. Mr. Mike Scavarla. Dr. <laughs> Mr. Mike Scavarla. Dr. Mr. We did get an email of somebody saying, like, he seems so famous. Why don't you all just refer to him as Mr. Scavarla when you're on the show? Like, uh, that we need to be more respectful to Mike. Wait, for real? Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you, listener. I appreciate that. Like, I sat and waited until I thought it was an appropriate time in your time zone to text you about it. Oh, but I, I was turned my phone so off excited. at night, so you could text me whenever. Okay. So, um, I mean, it's great. It has all the headline, Arkansas, Walmart, prehistoric, Mike Scavarla, take it from here. Yeah. So, if you haven't heard... I found a giant lacewing in Arkansas and I published a little short paper on what's, well, I guess it's not so short, but I put a paper out about it that got published back in December of 2020. And I assumed at the time that like entomologists would be excited because this is kind of an, an entomological rediscovery. Uh, and that would be the end of it. Like I'd get some attaboys from folks that I know and like, there'd be some buzz around it in entomology circles, and that would be about it. But my department head suggested maybe we should put a press release out through Penn State about it. I was like, yeah, sure. Like, that's great. Maybe get it on the, like, Penn State uh, news, uh, like their their daily email that goes out. Like, that's great. And we did that. And then all of a sudden, all of these news outlets picked it up and I started seeing this story pop up. And the first time I realized it was like a big deal was when I saw the BBC running it. I was like, oh shoot, like it's gone international. And then somebody sent me a link to uh, a column in Der Spiegel, the German newspaper. So there's like a German language article out there. Uh, and then the New York Times called me to do an interview over Zoom about it. And so all of a sudden, what I thought was going to be this like entomological interest thing has turned into this worldwide phenomena. And I'm getting all these emails. I, I did six interviews yesterday about it. It's like the last 48 hours have just been mind boggling. So I thought we could do like a short little arthropod episode about it. Um, and especially one, because you know, there's more to the story than is making it into these news stories. And so listeners might be interested in that. But also because if you've read those news stories, I made the discovery during a class I was teaching. And it turns out 
I have the recording from it. So you can hear the audio of what exactly happened and how it all played out and hear the discovery in real time as it happened. Um, so, so set the stage for us, Mike. It's it's not Pennsylvania that we're standing in in our mental palace right now, but we're in a different state. Where are we at? I collected the specimen, this giant lacewing, when I was a PhD student at the University of Arkansas. So I was in Arkansas uh, and it was 2012 sometime during the summer. And I say sometime because after I got the specimen, I put it on a spreading board, put it on top of a shelf and then forgot about it for two or three months. And so by the time I labeled it, I don't actually, I didn't actually remember what day I had collected it. And so unfortunately the collection date is missing. And this is a great example of entomology students. If you get something, you label it as soon as you get it, because in a couple of weeks or a couple of months time, you're not going to remember when exactly you collected it. So I don't recall exactly what my wife and I were doing, but we were out, we were coming home and we needed to stop by the grocery store for just one or two items. Like I needed to run in and get milk. It wasn't even enough that I needed a cart. I was just going to run in and pick it up. And on the way into the store, there was this large insect just sitting on the bricks outside the door. And I thought, oh, cool, an antlion. I really like antlions. And I collect them whenever I see them because I don't see them all that often. They're not, they're common, but not so common. I see them every day. And Can I interrupt was, for a sec? What yes. time of day? What time of day was it? Sure. It was late morning or early afternoon. So like lunchtime-ish within a few hours. And was it dead or alive? So it was alive. And it turns out that giant lace wings are mostly nocturnal. Uh, they'll come to lights at night. Um, and you'll get them at like light traps. And so what I suspect happened is it was attracted to the lights of the Walmart the previous night. Dawn came and it settled down like many nocturnal moths will do just kind of sitting out on the bricks, um, waiting for night to come again and hoping a predator doesn't come by and eat it. And so when I saw it on the brickwork, it didn't like fly away. And something all these folks on Reddit have asked is like, why, how did, how did you grab it? It's like, well, it just sat there. And giant lace wings are kind of slow, bumbly insects. Anyhow, they don't, they're not very strong flyers. They're not very fast. And so it just sat there and I picked it up and I walked around Walmart with it between two of my fingers because I didn't have anything to put it in, did my grocery shopping, walked out with, you know, whatever the one or two items was. My wife was driving at the time. So she drove home while I held this insect in my hand and then I killed it using a kill jar put it on a spreading board, let it dry out and labeled it with what information I did remember excluding the collection date and then promptly put it in my personal insect collection where it sat for 10 years undisturbed because I never, despite having an interest in antlions, never found time to come back and actually identify all the antlions I had collected. You know, there was a dozen or so of them sitting there that were one of those like, someday I'll get to them. So it's in there collecting dust. It's from the before times, before COVID, before everything. Uh, it travels with you from Arkansas to Pennsylvania. Uh, Arkansas did, to Maryland to Pennsylvania. Arkansas to Maryland to Pennsylvania. I apologize. Uh, and then what makes it see the light of day again? Why, why were you getting it out? So as some of the listeners may have uh, picked up through, I've mentioned it a couple of times on various episodes, 
I was asked to sub in for one of the professors who decided to take sabbatical. He usually teaches our insect biodiversity and taxonomy class. And he took sabbatical. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll teach this class. Like, I like teaching. I'll just, you know, I'll use what his class, I'll just kind of teach from his slides and it'll be great. And then COVID hit and he decided to keep on sabbatical. Like he didn't reschedule it because COVID hit. And so all of a sudden, here's me with this very lab heavy, field work heavy, large course that all of a sudden I've got to pivot to an online course. And the way that I did that uh, was I set up a table next to my computer with a microscope and the microscope had a camera on it. And each student had a personal collection that I made for them that they were sent home with in a microscope. So they could look at specimens at home on their own, but I would work through specimens here at my house under the microscope and show students over Zoom, like what I'm looking at. So we would do, uh, we would mix lectures and the lab portion of the class, I would give a short five minute lecture on, here's how you identify this group. And then we'd look at specimens under my microscope. I'd, I'd move it around, show them like you've seen the photos of these things. These are the characters on a live specimen that you need to be looking for. Now go look at your own specimens for a few minutes and then we'll go to the next group. And we kind of worked through identification of different families that way. And so because I didn't want to go on campus, I was teaching out of my personal collection. I was pulling specimens for this online course from my personal collection because it was two doors down the hall. And when the day to teach antlions came the week before Thanksgiving, I brought my antlions over, set them down, and I gave my short little bit on antlions. Here's how you identify them. They have clubbed antennae. There's lots of veins in the wings. Here's all the characters. Let's look at some specimens. The first thing I pulled out was this insect that didn't match any of the characters I just told my students they need to be looking for it didn't have clubbed antennae. There weren't numerous cross veins in the wings. And I'm looking at it. Well, why don't I just play the audio here of how that happened? And then I'm not, I've got some owlflies and a couple. This, this intro is very entertaining. Antlions here. What is this? Huh. What is this? Here's a neuropterin. This is this is cool. It's mixed in with my antlions. But if you notice. Those antennae are not clubbed. I wonder if this is not an antlion. Huh. I'm going to have to look at this later. I remember the day I collected this specimen. It was on the side of a Walmart. Uh, ended up carrying it through the entire store because I didn't have anything to put it in and carried it all the way home because it was because antlions are neat and I don't, you don't see them too often. And so it's, I thought it was something really cool to collect. So anyway, here's a, all the antlions I have are fairly sizable. So it's going to be hard to get them under the microscope, unfortunately. Um, but here you can see those clubbed antennae. 
So at that point, I pulled out an actual antlion and, you know, started actually like finishing that lecture for the rest of the day. Now, in some of the news stories that I've read, there's interviews with students that were taking your course at the time. And they say that they like were their wheels were turning and they were realizing, is this that moment or is that slightly later on? Uh, So it started in that moment. And yes, two of the grad students that are still here were in my course. That was the semester that they had started. So they managed to get some quotes in into the original press release. And then that those got picked up by some of the, the news articles. So then, uh, like I said, I lectured for another five or 10 minutes uh, teaching the actual antlions and owl flies, and then pulled out this mystery specimen again. So we could, me and the students could work through like, what could this thing be? So I'll play that audio as well. I'm going to stop screen sharing for a second. Cause I think I want to ch- double check that before I say it. I, uh, clarity. So at this point, I had been rolling around like, what could this thing be in my head for a few minutes? Uh, and I had thought that maybe it was a dialerid, which is a lacewing species that, or a lacewing family that I had never encountered. They occur in the eastern U.S., though, so it was something like, this is a weird lacewing I've never seen. Maybe it's that weird thing. I didn't really have a good mental picture about what it could be. Um, but that was the first thing I thought, because like, hey, weird lacewing in the eastern U.S., maybe it's that, even though I don't know what they look like. No, it's not that. So quickly figured out it's not a dialerid. I really want to know what that thing that I thought was an antlion is. Your brain. This is like the gears in the working. So Huh. I'm looking at Doug Guide at this point. Okay. I'm getting very excited about this. I I might be wrong. I'm gonna screen share what I'm looking at though. Nobody scoop me on this because this might be a cool paper. Uh let's screen share. So here, one of the groups that I didn't cover in class because we don't get them here are the giant lace wings. Uh, there's two genera in North America. They're not very specious. Um, here's one that was that was photographed out in Washington. You notice it kind of kind of looks like an antline, except it's got these long filiform antennae. Look at where they're collected. They're all Western. Uh, you go to the bug guide info page, only occurs in the West. Um, had disappeared from Eastern North America by 1850. That was a flub on my part. I meant 1950. Huh. Poorly known. So we'll look at, let's look at some photos again. Here's that one. Can see they're fairly big, patterned wings. Let's see if there's a spread wing photo. 
Here's the pattern. Okay, got these long cells with very few cross veins. So let's look under were those some at home COVID kids that I heard in the background. Yeah, my kids were being very loud the entire time I caught this class, and my students were very understanding about it. They were probably amused. Uh, new share. Uh, long cells with very few cross veins. I think this is a giant lace wing, which aren't known from Arkansas where I collected this. So that's very cool. That is very cool. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, I'm freaking wow. out a little bit. This is very cool. Okay. So I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna dig more into this later, uh, obviously, because I have to I have to know the background about this. Um, because it said that the one species was extirpated from the east by 1950. So, like, what the heck does that mean? It had disappeared from the eastern North America by 1950. Now it only occurs in the west. And they're citing insects, their natural history and diversity by Stephen Marshall, which I've got at work. I wonder what he says about it. I'm going to have to dig into that. Like, why? why did they disappear from the east what's going on were they widespread i wonder if there's a relictual dis uh population in arkansas ah that's so cool okay man that'll give me something to do over thanksgiving break um so there you go there's a family i didn't teach and i didn't even know that we had examples of giant lace wings um it would be super cool if you could keep us posted on what you find because that's very exciting yeah so okay well, that's really cool. Um, that's all I got for lab. Um, does anybody have any questions about about stuff? And then that was the end of lab. So there you go. Now you have all heard how it happened, the day that it happened when I taught that class and discovered a giant lacewing that had been collected in Arkansas. That is so what so is cool. what has the response been uh, to the articles that have been going out, Mike? Uh, what what are people saying? It's almost entirely positive. People have really loved it. It's really resonated. And I I think looking back, it's got a couple qualities that like enhanced its viral ability, like collected on a Walmart. That's funny. In Arkansas, who's thought of Arkansas recently? I love Arkansas. I'm sorry, everybody there. But like for the rest of the country or the rest of the world. The, a lot buy of those, milk. Yeah, everybody buy can relate. Milk. The Jurassic part. The Jurassic the ju part in all the titles seems to be the big selling point that I've encountered. Yep, a lot of people are latching on to like, oh, it's this weird prehistoric insect. How? Why is it there? And, yeah, you did a Jurassic Park and and like brought a bug back, and it was out of Walmart. Yeah, I'm I'm a little miffed that that actually made it in when I saw the press release before it went out. I actually suggested or told them to not include Jurassic, uh, which obviously I was not listen to um the, the whole reason for the jurassic bit is there is a line two or three sentences into the introduction about how the family ithonidae the giant lacewings this larger grouping that includes this one species has a jurassic origin because it's setting up the introduction of like what is this thing well here's a bit about the family they're from the jurassic 
obviously this is a recent species that is more recently evolved and not like a relic from the dinosaur age but you know that's that's how the news works yeah and like i've seen some comments because of the walmart thing like you know i've seen scarier stuff at walmart oh you really can get everything at walmart and then i've also had seen some comments about well if it was so you know if no one has seen it and it's so unique or like you've never seen it in 50 years or whatever why would why would he kill it you know and it's like they didn't read the article yeah i I see that a lot too like how could you kill such a rare thing it's like my dude i didn't know what it was right and then it's like well do you really go around killing things and that's not really how it works those are not the intentions that entomologists have like right because we have issues with people just killing everything out there but i think it's very important to understand like why scientists have to do destructive sampling right and why we have collections and there's a, there's a whole bit in the paper um where i talk about the value of citizen science because uh if you look there's only about 30 to 50 giant lacewing specimens collected because uh, they're still extant out west. They still occur in the Rocky Mountains and the West Coast. Um, only 30 to 50 specimens collected per decade. And it's been about that for the last 100 years. But since the rise of citizen science and things like iNaturalist and Bug Guide, there are like 400 photos of these things from the last decade. And so you've got this huge increase in the number of records that we're getting and they really fill in a lot of the range gaps of this thing out west where it does occur still. Um, but you still need specimens in collections. Like you can't get DNA from a photograph. And yeah, exactly. There's there's important reasons to collect and, and destructively sample or kill and preserve at least a subset of, of specimens out there because we need these for records for the future in ways that Photographs just can't um, co- uh, not compensate for. Um, they they pr- they provide things that photographs just can't. Right. Um, but both methods are complementary to each other. It's just like what we learned with Rocky Mountain spotted locusts, right? Nobody collected it. It was super common. And now they're like worth their weight in gold to all these people trying to figure out their genetics and everything. Yeah, exactly. And, and we actually, in the paper, I mentioned that like, why aren't these things widespread in collections if they were widespread in the East? And I actually brought in Rocky Mountain locusts and said, maybe they were so abundant that nobody thought to collect them. Um, we don't We don't know. Right. And the other thing that I see people get hung up on is how weird it is to be an entomologist, which when I read, like you held on to it while you continued shopping. Like that didn't even seem weird to me. And so I just thought, wow, I don't, I don't even think that would be weird to entomologists. Um, I think I've run like maybe five miles with a beetle in my pocket, you know, or things like that. So, and I'm sure those stories have come out of the woodwork from entomologists. And as you said, like entomologists, it's great story. Like that's the stuff we like to read, but having, I guess, the public and all the media take it up and dish it out in a different way and have you be so famous for this thing right <laughs> it's still nothing yeah. on darwin right you didn't put it in your mouth and walk around i, I did not put a bombardier beetle in my mouth and later spit it out and lose all of my beetles 
Uh, are there any other things you'd like to set straight before we wrap up this very special micro episode of Arthropod? Um, I think the the one other thing that I've been getting a lot of questions about is uh, could this have just like come in on a truck? It was at a Walmart, like they're getting shipments all the time. And what I've been telling people is with just one specimen, it's really hard to say where it came from. Uh, my guess my the theory i like the best because i think it has the highest probability is that there is a breeding population of these things in arkansas that went undetected the ozarks are a biodiversity hotspot that is really undersurveyed compared to similar regions like the southern appalachians so if you're gonna like pick a place for these things to hide out and go undetected like the ozarks is going to be in your top five it is a really good place for insects to to be and and not be seen. So I think that that is the highest probability of what happened. It could be that a specimen from out west where they still exist got on a truck somehow or got into some freight, traveled across the country, flew out of that truck or came out of that freight when it was unloaded, didn't die in the process flew onto this wall at night and then I happened to see it the next day and it's the only specimen that there was in the entire area. It's certainly possible. Like weirder things have happened. That's how invasive species get introduced all the time. I just, I think that that's a lower probability chance than there's a breeding population in the area that I found it. And there's actually a, a fair number of them out there. And I just happened to see one of that number. But again, with just one specimen, we don't know and there's no way to know so yeah it's been it's been a crazy 48 hours i expect it's probably going to die down in the next couple days to and it won't be like this next week but it's been a fun ride while it's lasted you'll cycle out of the news cycle for sure soon but it's been fun for you in the interim i assume yeah and i hope the arthropod listeners i i hope that you appreciate this peak in the in the, the day that it happened so thanks for listening exclusive contest exactly eat your, eat your heart out new york times <laughs> well, we really appreciate that mike uh, uh we're very proud of you and we'll try to treat you with more respect going forward i guess since you're now in the paper of record and everything but yeah. uh really cool really fun i uh, hope everybody goes and checks out all the news stories that we'll link to in the show notes for this little mini episode uh tune in here in the next few days when we'll have an episode all about online master's degrees in entomology with special guest aaron bauer of university of nebraska lincoln it's time for our insect heroes to put away their nets and pheromone traps join us next time same bug time same bug channel as the arthropod gang Make the world safe from Poor Insect Podcast. Until then, keep on bugging. Did you use bad words? No, I didn't. Okay. Um, That's a surprise. <laughs>